0: When I was 10 years old, I attended swim practice at the basement level pool of a local high school. By the pool's entrance stood an impressive poster. It depicted a determined swimmer preparing to launch a backstroke start with nothing but focus in her eyes. Practice after practice, as my teammates and I swam grueling set after set, yard after yard, the subject of that poster gazed upon us with an expression of ambition and a desire to win. If at 10 years old, I'd received the opportunity to interview the swimmer on that poster, a 12-time Olympic medalist, 10-time world champion, and former world record holder, let's just say I would have jumped at the chance. My name is Faz Zuffer, and this is Profiles in Excellence, a podcast brought to you by the Harvard College Podcast Network. Every Sunday, we feature successful individuals from politics, entertainment, sports, and more. From the journey of an Olympic gold medalist to the rise of one of America's most prominent economists, each episode will offer a glimpse at the world through the stories and perspectives of its most inspiring figures. For the next 20 minutes, join us. Natalie Coughlin is one of the most decorated Olympic swimmers of all time. In representing the United States in Athens in 2004, Beijing in 2008, and London in 2012, she's won a total of 12 Olympic medals—five bronze, four silver, and three gold. The accolades don't stop there, as she's won gold ten times at the world championships. Natalie Coughlin was born in Vallejo, California in 1982. Her father Jim was a police officer, while her mother Zenny, was a paralegal. Though the five Olympic rings captivate our attention every four years, most of us will never understand the physicality, perseverance, and indomitable spirit that one must possess to reach the Olympics, let alone win 12 medals. My interview with Miss Coughlin in June offered an opportunity to hear the perspective of one of the greatest swimmers in American history. Please note that our conversation has been edited for the purpose of concision. I'd love to hear you explain what initially drew you to swimming as a sport.
1: Yeah, so similar to you, I started swim team at age 6. And um I did lessons from the time I was, you know, an infant. Um but I did um gymnastics and a little bit of dance, you know, age 3, 4, whenever you start kids at that age <laughs> uh with those sports. Um and I was just always much better in the water than I was on land. Um and uh much more coordinated in the water. So uh, I ended up moving towns at age six, and my parents got the idea of a, a good way to meet new new kids in my new town was to join the local swim team because that was the the sport that I was best at at the point at that point.
0: Like I touched upon, I I, pro- I did swimming for probably over a decade, but I definitely didn't put in as much um, time or practice as as you clearly put into training. You know, still, I think for myself, there were a lot of moments, especially, you know, during like those morning practices when you're in the cold water in high school, where you just want to kind of up and quit. So it's definitely a sport that I think a lot of people don't realize the extent at which it requires perseverance and tenacity. What persuaded you to keep at it over the years, especially, you know, in the beginning before the accolades arrived? Did you ever have those moments where you consider leaving swimming altogether?
1: Definitely. I don't think uh, any successful swimmer could um, not think of many, many instances in which they wanted to quit. Um, It's a, it's a tough sport. Uh, You're in your own head for hours and hours and hours of the day. um, And it's, it's tough physically and mentally. There's never breaks. You know, you train 50 weeks out of the year. um, So your season is September to August. (laughs) So it's, it's, it's a tough sport. Um, but yeah, when I was young, you know, I grew up in Northern California. So that's about the coldest climate that uh, you swim outdoors year round. So, you know, if it's 40 degrees and pouring rain or hailing, we still swam. And so at eight years old, I, you know, absolutely hated it in December and January and February. Um, and I would want to quit and my parents always said that you had to dedicate yourself to something uh, in addition to school so you had to be a good student but you also had to do something other than than um, just academics and so I always stuck with swimming and then by the time I was about 13 or so I realized that uh, I could get a college scholarship off of my swimming so that was the carrot Um, as soon as I became a, a teenager that was the carrot that was dangled in front of me was knowing that I was a good enough summer to go to any D1 school and earn a scholarship.
0: As she became faster in her teenage years, Natalie realized she could reach the Olympics. But at age 16, a little less than a year and a half away from the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, she ran into an obstacle that nearly derailed her swimming career. Would you mind sharing what essentially happened at that point that had prevented that achievement from happening?
1: Yeah, so... um, if we back up a little bit, the end of nineteen ninety eight. So um, I went to uh, yeah, wasn't yeah ninety eight. Uh, so I went to U.S. Open and I ended up winning five five gold medals at that meet. Um, so I won. I remember the tuner fly, tuner back, um, and I can't remember three other events. Uh, I won a bunch of different events, and so at that point, I kind of looked at the national team, um, and kind of saw where there were some weaknesses in, in, in the events. And so I started training much more for butterfly. Um, and, um, in addition to, to freestyle and I am and several months later at during, during a practice, my shoulders went numb during this particularly really bad Um, really intense uh, endurance butterfly set. And my shoulders went numb, which wasn't that unusual. Um, You know, I had tendinitis like a lot of um, summers get Uh, and pushed through it, you know, the whole like no pain, no gain mentality. And then that night I woke up um, with just the most excruciating pain. And the next morning I couldn't lift my arm. Um, And then it took about a month or so to finally see a doctor and and see like what was really going on with me um and you know realizing it wasn't just tendonitis it was something much more serious and i realized i had a torn labrum um and um so that was the beginning of, of 1999 um and i had already qualified for that summer's pan pacific game so that was the top meet for the u.s national team that 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 summer. Um, I had already qualified in in, um, the summer of 98. So I went to Pan Pax, which was in the Olympic pool where, um, where the Sydney Olympics were going to be uh, and had a terrible meet because that entire season, I wasn't able to train the way that I wanted to train. And then into 2000, same thing. I, I had a bad shoulder injury and I couldn't train the way that I needed to, to Um, be successful at the time. Um, and, uh, it was, it was brutal. I ended up getting fourth at that Olympic trials in 2000, uh, when you need to get first or second, uh, and then ended up going, going off to college at at UC Berkeley, um, so that was that was a long year and a half of getting so close to your goals. I was, you know, the American record holder in the 100 back, and I had qualified on the national team in the 100 and 200 back and um, qualified for all these different events at, at Olympic trials. And, um, yeah, I got so close, but uh, it, it, it comes down to hundreds of a second. And you look back on this injury – that happened really only because you were training really, really hard. Um, So that, that was mentally very, very difficult at age 16 and age 17.
0: The injury would almost convince Natalie to quit swimming. But the benefit of a college scholarship persuaded her to stick to the sport. It was this decision that would set in motion the perfect comeback. After enrolling at UC Berkeley, Natalie would win 12 NCAA national championships, 11 of which were in individual events and she was NCAA Swimmer of the Year three times in a row. In 2004, she would bounce back from just missing the mark four years earlier by qualifying for the Athens Olympics. Her first of three career gold medals would come on the third day of competition, when she would win her signature event, the 100-meter backstroke. Can you describe just how it felt seeing the one by your name on the scoreboard when you finished the race, then, you know, you're standing on the top of that podium representing your country. What is that feeling like?
1: Oh, my gosh, it's pretty indescribable um, when you look up at the scoreboard and see the the number one at, you know, when you're at the, <laughs> the Olympic Games. You know, I, I was 21, about to turn 22 I, at the 2004 Olympics, and... I had dreamt of going to the Olympics since I was six years old. So achieving your dream is such a surreal, like weird experience um, that it's hard to put into words, but you know, I, I swam that race. I had really an awful race, but luckily I was good enough to, um, <laughs> to still get gold because um, I, I swam at a stupid race, went out way too fast, you know, my tempo slowed down that last 50, but I was fortunate enough to to win gold. And um, the scoreboard was so tiny in Athens. And I remember, you know, hitting the wall thinking I had won. But when you some backstroke, you're pretty much blind, you don't know what's going on on either side of you. And so I thought I saw number one, but the way that they they ranked your names on the scoreboard. I wasn't quite sure that maybe I celebrated too early and I, I didn't. Uh, there was that moment of panic, like, oh my gosh, this might might be super embarrassing. Um, and then when I confirmed that I, I had one, it was just this overall sense of relief. And then Um, and then the celebration kicks in, you know, um, look up into the stands and I see my family, um, like I see my parents and my grandparents, my godfather, my sister, my boyfriend, who's now my husband and friends. And, um, to be able to share that moment and pick them out of the crowd was just so incredibly special.
0: By the conclusion of Athens 2004, Natalie had won five medals, two gold, two silver, and one bronze. Four years later in Beijing, she would find herself in the final of the 100 backstroke a second time. In this instance, however, she was not the favorite to win the race, as the world record she'd previously held had been broken by Zimbabwean swimmer Kirsty Coventry the day before in the semifinal.
1: Going into the Beijing Olympics, I had broken the world record I think twice that year. Um, definitely, yeah, twice that year. Um, so I broke it as kind of a surprise earlier, like February or March of 2008. And then I broke it again in um, at the Olympic trials. And then we go to the Olympics and you have prelim semifinals and finals. And because um, we had morning finals, in, in Beijing, uh, each race was on a different day. So semifinals was the second day of my race and I was in the first heat and Kirsty Coventry, my main, main competition, uh, was in the second heat. So I saw my race. It was a great one. I think I won my semifinal comfortably made it to the final um, and so after your race, what you do is you talk to the press and you go through what's called the mixed zone. And so it's kind of like um, like Disneyland or getting into a club or something where you just snake back and forth um, in line in front of reporters and you give your, your interview to the various outlets um, throughout the world. And um, so I'm doing my mixed, mixed uh, zone interviews. And there are monitors everywhere. So kind of keeping an eye on that that second heat, which Christy Coventry was in, and she ended up breaking my world record. Um, So at the time, you know, the reporters that I was speaking to, um, they immediately go into like, oh my God, are you so nervous for next, for tomorrow morning and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I wasn't, I was, I, I, you know, was no, I wouldn't say bummed that she broke my world record. I was much more motivated and excited, but also a little, a little bit anxious, but um, in a way that was motivating for the next day. So fast forward to the next morning, it's our final and the entire day, I just kept visualizing that race going successfully and knowing that I was capable of winning it. I had raced the Hunter back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And I knew exactly what I needed to do to be successful. And I was confident enough that if I executed my race properly, I would win. Um, So I just visualized it over and over and over again in my head and ended up having a great race and got my hand on the wall first and and won. Um, And so it was just this overwhelming sense of relief and happiness after um winning that was similar to winning in in Athens in that way, but also very, very different. Um, knowing that you had been there before and achieving it again is just just a crazy moment. And I'm someone who's not very emotional. Um, like you would, I'm sure this summer when we watch the Tokyo Olympics, we'll see plenty of people on that top podium crying. And I remember reflecting on that before this experience and being like, that's so sweet that people get so overwhelmed that they cry. I have no idea what that would feel like (laughs) because that's just so not me. And in 2008, that was me. Um, You know, I remember going to my coach after that race and she was crying and it made me cry. And then uh, we had our medal ceremony and I was on the top podium and the girl to the left of me who won bronze was Margaret Holzer and that was her first uh, Olympic medal and she started crying and again I started crying because she was crying and it was just overwhelming and special and um, out of all the Olympic races I swam that's the one that is seared in my brain um, the most clearly.
0: I actually just heard the story and I'd love to hear you explain it uh, about the cut on your lip. We know when you stepped on the podium in 2008, would you mind sharing that?
1: Yeah. So this started when I was really, really young. I had a coach. um, He was actually my first uh, real coach in swimming that he told me when I was probably eight or nine years old that, um, you know, when you start to feel that pain um, in swimming, that bite down on your lip. And if your lip hurts worse than your legs, that'll distract you. <laughs> and so I just developed this awful habit of like chewing on my lower lip when I felt pain and swimming. And I would constantly just bite down when that lactic acid, like fiery cement feeling would happen in my legs. And I did it all throughout college <laughs> and I did it in, in, at the Olympics and. In Beijing, you could see a distinct like red like scabs on my lower lip from just biting down. And honestly, it was a terrible habit because biting down like that when you're in pain creates all this tension in your neck, which then radiates down through your body. But it was it was something that took a lot of mindfulness (laughs) to to overcome. But but yeah, if you look at any of the photos of me in Beijing, I have such red chapped, like scabby, gross lips that looks like I was almost wearing, um, you know, lip gloss or some sort of like makeup. But, but no, that's self, self-induced uh, um, torture that was a way to distract from the pain of, of competing.
0: <laughs> Natalie would attend her final Olympics in London 2012, where she and Team USA would win bronze in the 4x100 freestyle relay. It was her 12th career medal, designating her the most decorated female Olympian from the United States, an honor she shares with fellow swimmers Dara Torres and Jenny Thompson, who have also won 12 medals. She continued swimming after the conclusion of the Games, and trained alongside fellow Olympic champions Nathan Adrian and Anthony Irvin ahead of Rio 2016. Unfortunately, she failed to qualify at the 2016 Olympic trials. Ever the ambitious swimmer that she'd always been, she declined to retire. Still, Natalie began exploring life's other offerings. She became a mother in 2018, and she and her husband welcomed a second child in 2020. In 2019, she authored Cook to Thrive, a collection of 80 recipes meant to sustain an active lifestyle. Most prominently, Natalie became the co-founder of a wine brand in 2017.
1: My wine is Gadarian Wines, um, so Gadarian is the old English word for to gather, Um, and it's myself and my partner, uh, Shana Harding, who is, uh, also the winemaker. So it's the two of us. We started our wine in 2017, um, and growing up in Northern California, my parents are wine drinkers and I was always, uh, intrigued by Napa Valley and, and wine and like, why do so many people love, love this product so much? And so, uh, when I was, you know, of drinking age, I started visiting Napa and learned a lot more about wineries and wine in general, and um, how it's produced, and what I liked and what I disliked. Um, and I was just a fan of it. And my friend Shana, um, she was at the time, you know, when in when I was in my early twenties, and she was in her early twenties. She just had moved out here um, to California from Florida or Florida via New York. Um, and had gotten herself into the wine industry, worked her way from cellar rat to um, enologist to winemaker, Uh, and she was incredibly talented, and I was always very admirable of how talented she was and how much I admired her passion for, for wine, and out of the blue in 2017, she texted me and asked if I would want to partner on a winery with her. And I said, yes, before knowing anything about the business. And that goes back to the confidence that I got from swimming. Um, you know, I, and I've always been someone who tends to say yes to things before I know what I'm getting myself into, knowing that I'm smart enough to figure it out and that, you know, I'll stumble, but I'll also learn from those stumbles. Um, and yeah, so far we've been very, very successful. We've won gold medals or double gold um, on all, almost all of our wines. Um, it's been incredibly challenging with the wildfires and the pandemic <laughs> and everything, um, you know. Uh, but it's been it's been a really fun challenge, and uh, it's a product that I'm very, very proud of. And people people have been very complimentary of it.
0: In 2019, Natalie would find herself back in the pool when she was invited to swim the 50 backstroke for the DC Trident at the inaugural meet hosted by the International Swimming League. I, I know you uh, came out of retirement in 2019 to swim the 50 back for uh, the ISL. You know What was that like, coming back and swimming you know, for the first time in a few years? And you still put up a wonderful time as well. So what was that feeling like?
1: It was so fun to compete in ISL. Technically I never retired, um, but I just never, um, I I never said that I'm retired just because I didn't want the, like, I don't know, the funeral of my career or something. I, it was just like, not, not, not in my, (laughs) that's not in my personality, but I technically never retired, but I just stopped training. Um, and had a baby and been focusing on my wine um, and my business. And um, the general manager for the DC Trident, Caitlin Sandino, who was also one of my former teammates on the Olympic team um, in 2004, and a friend of mine, she asked me if I would consider doing the 50 back at ISL. And at first I said, absolutely not. And then she's, she's like, it's two laps. Like you could, you could do two laps in your sleep. And, you know, I was, I think five or six months postpartum, um, at the time and starting to get motivated to get back into shape. And, um, I saw that as a really great motivational tool to get back into shape, um, that I needed to, you know, at least not embarrass myself, (laughs) uh, in, in competition. So I said, sure. What the hell? and started training a few few days a week um, on my own mainly. Um, and it was, it was so fun. It was weird to be back. Like it was weird to put a race suit on again and to be in um, the ready room prior to a race and to have a credential and to be in the, all these pre-competition meetings with my former competitors. Um, but at the same time, it felt so comfortable again. Um, I, it was really nice seeing a lot of people that I hadn't seen in years. Um, there were definitely a few kinks to work out, like doing a backstroke start again. That's something that is so unnatural and I hadn't done it in many years, um, I think like three plus years. So fortunately, I got my most embarrassing backstroke starts in at, uh, at Cal when no one was there because <laughs> there were some bad ones. Um, but I, I, was able to have a pretty decent race in Indianapolis and, and in, um, in Maryland when we, when we competed. So it was really fun and I, uh, I enjoyed my experience, uh, and it was just a way to support this new, this new league uh, that will help the next generation of swimmers. Um, Because, you know, not everyone in our sport is just motivated for the Olympics. Like that is definitely the pinnacle of our sport. Um, But there are competitions all over the world um, where like swimming is, is more than just every four years. And so to have this professional league that supports the racing and supports this competition amongst um, you know all the, the various swimming powers is um, something that's really great, and I was glad to to lend my support to it.
0: Though Natalie Coughlin is past the prime age of a swimmer, her efforts both in and out of the pool demonstrate that she's not done yet. After all, from swimming to Guderian wine, she has shown that she truly is a gold medalist, a champion and a profile in excellence.